I believe it's in this worship center. It's 6 o'clock on Wednesday. So hopefully we'll see you all out here for the Ash Wednesday service. So for the last three weeks, we've been in 1 Corinthians, right? Does anybody remember the five issues that Paul was writing about in 1 Corinthians the last that we talked about two weeks ago? Can anyone remember one of them? <laughs> give, me, give me one, somebody. What was one of the issues that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians? What's immorality? Yes, thank you. Sexual immorality was one of them. The people were just, uh, there was a particular person, an individual even, who was doing some really nasty things. And the church not only didn't, you know, critique him for that, criticize him for that, but the church was like going along with it, saying it was okay. The others were there was division in the church. People were following different pastors instead of following uh, Jesus Christ. There was the issue with the food offered to idols. Should we eat it? Should we not? Uh, And there was um, the gathering. So in the service, they would get pretty rowdy with uh, using their gifts in, in different ways and it was becoming disruptive. And finally, what we focused on for those three weeks was the resurrection. Because also in the church in Corinth, they were starting to say that there was no resurrection, that Jesus hadn't been resurrected and that we as Christians would not be resurrected. <clears throat> and Paul emphatically says, wrong, there was a resurrection and there will be a resurrection So that was the whole point of this letter was Paul kind of trying to get this church back on track. Well, this week we're going to move to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So sometime in between the first letter and the second letter, because the first letter didn't seem to do the job, Paul went for a visit and he basically, you know, reminded probably not so gently, the church, that they were off track and that these things were the way we are supposed to live. These are the things that we believe. But after Paul's visit, well, actually, and Paul visited because after the first letter, many people in the church rejected the first letter. They said, you know, we don't believe this. We don't, we don't agree with you, Paul. So Paul actually goes for a visit and, and lets them know in person that this is true, this is the case. And after that visit, there were many in the church who realized that they had been wrong. And now they wanted to make amends with Paul. They wanted to reconcile with him. But one of the things we have to understand is why they rejected Paul in the first place. Because it wasn't just the teaching that they rejected. The people from the Bible Project say this. That actually, before, we, before I tell you what they said, I want to tell you about the Bible Project. The Bible Project is, there's a series of videos on YouTube that they go through overviews of each book of the Bible. And in my preparation, each, each sermon, I will watch the overview from the Bible Project because it's a very broad, basic overview Then after the overview, then I read as much of the book, whatever book we're in, as possible. And I try to read all of it, but I don't always get through all of it. But I definitely get through several chapters before um, 
what we're reading and after because it's important that we understand in context what's going on. Then after I read that, then I cross-reference because now I'm going to narrow in on the passage that we're talking about and I like to do cross-referencing. If you don't know what cross-referencing is, when you open your Bible in the passage, you're going to see little letters and when you go to um, find that little letter either on the side or the bottom of your Bible, it'll tell you other verses that'll tie in with either that word or that thought. So it's very helpful to do cross-referencing. And then I go to commentaries to make sure that my thoughts are not completely out of whack because if you come up with some new idea after 2,000 years of Christianity, it's a good chance that it's off if nobody else has come up with that idea in 2,000 years. So it's good to check ourselves. But it's also good to remember that commentaries are not the gospel. So the notes in the bottom of my Bible are not gospel. They are not the inspired word of God. They are somebody's opinion on the passage. This is a study Bible, so basically it's just kind of facts about the, the area. So that's kind of my process. I start from the broad, and I funnel my way into the one passage we're going to talk about. And the reason why I'm telling you <clears throat> all of this is because I hope that the one thing, if you get just one thing every week when I'm up here, it is the importance of Scripture. It is the importance of the Word of God. Okay, all the opinions don't matter. Your feelings don't matter. I hate to break it to you. That's tough to hear these days. Your feelings don't matter. All that matters is God. And therefore, his word is what matters most. So if I'm going to come up here and I'm going to say this to you every other week, every week that I'm up here, then I figured I should probably kind of help you to know how do we really study the word of God. Because this is what we need to study, not books with people's opinions. It's great to read those books. I love to read a lot of books. But they come after this. <clears throat> So back to what they said, though, the Bible Project. They said the Corinthians had disregarded Paul as a leader. He was poor. He earned a meager living through manual labor. He was under constant persecution and suffering. He was often homeless. And to top it off, he wasn't a very exciting public speaker. So once the Corinthians were exposed to other more wealthy, impressive Christian leaders, they started to think less of Paul. They were actually ashamed of him. So Paul responded, first, by showing that their elevation of these leaders simply because of their wealth and eloquence was a betrayal of Jesus. It showed a total, totally distorted value system. But he also says that true Christian leadership is not about status or self-promotion. And then Paul depicts himself and the other apostles as captives, as slaves to King Jesus, who is leading them on a procession of triumph. And this, coming up here, is the most important part, I thought, of what they wrote about this. Paul's job isn't to be impressive, but rather to point people to the one who is impressive, Jesus. 
This is what God calls us to do as well. It is not our job to be impressive. It's not our job to to convince people with our great words or our charisma or our standing. It is simply our job to point people to the one who is impressive, Jesus, to boldly proclaim the gospel despite our frailties, frailties, despite the fact that others may be better speakers or more charismatic or more successful. It's through our weaknesses that God's strength really shows through. We're going to get into more of this in a little bit, the importance of this. Would you right now, though, open with me to 2 Corinthians 3.12? We're going to read 3.12 through 4.2. And as we have begun doing, if you wouldn't mind, if you would stand with me to read this as a reminder that we are reading the words of God right now. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since, though God's, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We pray that you would open our eyes to what you have revealed today. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would hear the message you have and that each one of us would leave here today a little bit closer to you. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we read this passage, we look and, and we ask questions, right? So what is the question that we should ask? What's the first question we should ask? We should start with the very first word in this passage, therefore. If you remember last week, Pastor Joe told us that whenever we see a therefore in a passage, we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for? And for some reason, in this passage, we ought to have hope. We ought to be bold. So what is this reason? What was the reason for the therefore. And we have to go back a little bit to find that out. In verse 7, Paul says, the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. So the old covenant, 
the Mosaic Covenant, came with glory. Even though through that law came condemnation, because no one can live up to the law, and because of that, regular sacrifices had to be made for people's sins, and the law had no power to change man's heart. It had no power to purge the evil from us. And yet, Paul calls this covenant glorious. In fact, in Romans 7, Paul will also say about the law, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So this is why Paul says it is glorious. Because if not for the law, he wouldn't have known what sin was. Now you may say to yourself, if God had not said it was sin, if he hadn't given the law to begin with, it, it wouldn't be sin though, right? We wouldn't even have to worry if he had not said that these things were sin. But remember in Genesis 6 that God floods the entire earth, except destroying the earth, except for Noah, the one righteous man he could find, and his family. And why did God flood the earth? There wasn't a Mosaic covenant yet, right? There wasn't the law yet. But that doesn't mean that the right and wrong didn't already exist. Obviously, it did exist, and the people's wickedness, corruption, and violence led to their destruction. So when God gave the law to Moses, he was doing the people a favor. The law was a gift. He was showing them how to live, how to be set apart for him. He was revealing to them that if they lived according to the law, that they would be blessed in the land. But most importantly, he revealed to them how high the bar is actually set and that on their own, they could never reach the level of righteousness that it would take to enter the kingdom of heaven. On our own, we cannot do it. The law revealed that to us. The law revealed our need for God. The law revealed our need for a Savior. And because of that, the law was a glorious thing. So again, although it could not purge the evil in men's hearts, it did reveal that need for God. So the old covenant was glorious, but Paul goes on further to say, if the old ministry was glorious, how much more glorious is the new ministry that brings about righteousness? Do you see the comparison there? The old covenant was glorious, but how much more so the new covenant? We have to understand both. Because if we don't understand the old, the new loses some of that glory. And that old covenant, that old ministry, Paul says, was never meant to be permanent. Like the radiance of Moses' face, it was meant to fade. But today, Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant. And the new ministry through Jesus Christ will never fade away. Therefore, if the old ministry was glorious, again, how much more glorious is the new ministry? And if the new ministry has brought about a righteousness, a righteousness that we could not obtain by the law, then what should our response be? And now we come to that therefore. 
Because of all those things Paul says, therefore, we have hope. And because we have hope, we should be bold. We should be bold. Today the veil is gone. There are still those who are trying to live by the law. But there's a veil covering their hearts. There are many who think that they will get to heaven because they are good people. They kind of try to do right. You know, they're better than this person or that person. So surely God will accept, accept them. But that's not what the word says. And they are blinded to the truth. They still have the veil. But, Paul says, yes, and you can sing the, the words, I wasn't going to do it. Um, <laughs> but as Paul says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and there is freedom. We no longer try to follow the law to be saved. Jesus has done the work already. Now we follow his law because we are saved and we have the Holy Spirit working in us to transform us. Now, and there's a great freedom in that. Now, if you haven't come to know Christ, this may not make much sense to you. It may seem like, well, this is just semantics. We follow the law to be saved or we follow the law because we're saved. It, it just seems like semantics. But it's not. It is a, there is a great peace when you no longer have to work to be good enough. And it begun to do the work of God because he has made you good enough. When you're doing it because of his righteousness and not to be so on your own. And I was trying to think of how to describe this to you. <clears throat> and I was thinking, I, I, I've spent most of my life, well, yeah, most of my life now. For the last 30 years, I have been in some form of ministry. Most of that was unpaid ministry. You know, Joe, Pastor Joe says all the time, there's paid staff and unpaid staff. Most of those 30 years, I was unpaid staff. And the last place that I was unpaid staff would have been at the flip side, where it was our young adult ministry down in Bemis. And I loved doing that work. I loved organizing the events and me and a few others, um, we weren't paid to be there, but we were basically the ones who organized every event for the flip side. I had 100 people's names on my flip phone at the time, because it was a while ago. So I had 10 little flip side groups and I would have to copy and paste our messages to all 10 groups, and it was around, it was 90-some people. But I loved doing it. And then I got hired to do it. And I still loved doing it. I still love being in ministry. But when you go from volunteer to paid, something changes. There's an added pressure that gets put on when you're not doing it simply because you want to do it and your love for doing it. 
I still wanted to do it. I still had a love for doing it, but now I also had a responsibility to do it. And it added a pressure to it. And this is kind of like it is with the law. Before, there was a responsibility you had to do these things. Now we do these things because of our love for Jesus. Because of what he has done for us, we should live the way he has called us to live. And because of what Jesus did, the new ministry which Paul is talking about, we ought to have that hope and that boldness to share the message. But who are we to share the message? How many of you, two weeks ago, we asked you to, two weeks ago I asked you to share with one person that you knew about the resurrection? How many of you did that? Go ahead and raise your hand if you talked to somebody in the last two weeks about the resurrection. Excellent. Okay, we had a couple. Beautiful. Awesome. That is cool. And I know we had another person who, uh, they told me about it. They were all excited. And uh, they went and they shared their faith with a stranger. So their, their words to me were, I didn't quite get to the resurrection part, but I did this. And they were super excited. That's awesome, because that's what we want to do. We want to be bold. So here's the next question. Many of you may have forgotten about it. Is there anyone here who didn't do it because you feel unequipped or unworthy to do it? All right, everyone here is confident in sharing the good news. That is good. That's a good place to be. I don't believe you. (laughs) But that would be a great place to be. But I know the reality that most people feel like they are not equipped and that they are not worthy to share the good news. And this is what much of 2 Corinthians was about, though. People thought that it was the wealthy, the smooth talkers, the charismatic leaders, that they were the ones to follow, that they were the ones who should be sharing the message and doing the work, but that isn't the case. Paul wasn't a good speaker, but God used him in mighty ways. And I want to demonstrate this to you a little bit. So Woody's going to help me out with a demonstration and stand away from him because I got my suit jacket on and we're going to give him an egg to play with. one okay Sean all right I'm coming for I'm coming Woody I'm getting there all right Woody is going to break this egg we're going to see what's inside this egg we're going to find the treasures that this egg holds well like you mean it Woody really really smash it in there Oh, there he goes. (laughs) 
So Woody's egg, you probably can't see it, was hollow. But there's something inside this egg. There's a message that Woody is going to share, if he can see the words, because they're a little small. I think you can read that? Good enough reading. All right, I'm going to read the words, because they are kind of small. <clears throat> so the message is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Last night, I, yesterday, I got a lesson in how to hollow out eggs, blow out eggs, much easier than I had expected. But something as fragile as this one egg, this empty egg, can hold a treasure. Something as weak as this shell can carry a message. Paul says, For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Guys, we are this shell. When Paul talks about jars of clay, if you, jars of clay are, are pretty weak. They break easily. And yet God was protecting those jars of clay. These shells are weak. But it is in our weakness that God's strength shows through all the more. And it is in our weakness that God is going to use us you may be fragile, you may not think that you are equipped, but we can all share the good news of Jesus Christ. We can all share that gospel message because we are weak and oftentimes we are as empty as that shell. But God still wants us to carry his message to the world. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for this day. Lord, we know that we are weak. We know that we can do nothing on our own. We know that you, we can do nothing apart from you, Lord. Jesus tells us that we are but vines. You are the branches. And that apart from you, we can do nothing. But through you, Lord, we can do all things. Father, use us. Equip us to share the good news with a world that needs to hear it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of uh, worship, we ask that you reflect on the ways that God has blessed you and the ways that you can give back to him, whether that's through giving your tithes and your offerings, which of course we have the baskets in the back, or on reflecting on how we can use our gifts for God's glory. Because yeah, we may be as weak as that shell, but God has gifted us to do good works, to do great works.
So let's reflect on that during the music. be close close to your side so heaven is real and death is a lie I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one hallelujah holy holy God almighty Great I am, who is worthy, none beside thee, God Almighty, great I am, great I am, I want to be dry bones living again singing as one hallelujah holy holy God almighty great I am who is worthy none beside thee God almighty the great Yeah. 